0: Welcome to World Policy on Air, a weekly podcast from the pages and website of World Policy Journal, published by the nonprofit World Policy Institute in New York. I'm David Alpern. In this week's program, posting August 19th, 2016, We talk with Joseph A. Carey, Jr., chairman of the board of directors of the World Policy Institute, about the new series of world policy blog posts on international reactions to the uniquely bitter, bellicose, and sometimes violent U.S. presidential election campaign. We'll also point out top features in the new WPJ summer issue. You're listening to World Policy On Air. Now this... Um, yes, yeah, so I think, obviously,
1: Donald Trump's had very mixed messages about NATO. He's kind of, you know, he wants to put America first. Um, he he doesn't seem to have much interest in foreign policy, apart from praising, praising Putin and, you know, other strong
0: leaders. British political blogger Jonathan Stubbs from the August 5, 2016 episode of this program. Stubbs was one of the early contributors to a weekly series of global perspectives on the uniquely bitter, bellicose, and sometimes violent U.S. presidential campaign for World Policy Institute's website. Others came from as close as Canada and as far off as India and Singapore. The project was launched with a June blog post by Joseph A. Carey, Jr., chairman of the board of World Policy Institute. Quote, globally, Trump is not the only ascendant xenophobic nationalist, Carrie wrote. Much of the rest of the world is more familiar with his type, and the U.S. can learn a great deal from their perspectives. The repercussions of a Trump presidency also would extend far beyond the U.S. border. To get Cary's response to some responses in the series so far, we invited him to this podcast. Joe Kerry, welcome to World Policy on Air.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: It's rare for World Policy Institute and World Policy Journal to focus so forcefully on U.S. politics. What first led you to do just that with this series?
1: Well, David, uh, I think uh, there is a a much larger trend that we really wanted to talk about, and the Trump phenomena fit fit into uh, this international trend of uh, reaching out to people and fanning their worst fears, division, and instead of appealing to the better uh, angels in us as humans, uh, it reminds me very much of what various dictators have done to gain power uh, through history, and that is by frightening people. And offering simple solutions that people can say, I am in a worse place in my life because of, and Trump would use the example of, immigrants. It's simplistic things like this that do not serve the public purpose, and it's an international trend, and America is now part of that trend.
0: Even as Trump and his campaign lose some momentum, at least for the moment, it seems useful to survey some of the responses he continues to provoke and the issues behind them. Let's start with Jonathan Stubbs, who noted similar anti-immigrant, anti-elitist, anti-establishment and anti-globalist sentiment driving the success of both Brexit in Great Britain and Trump in winning the Republican presidential nomination. Should he somehow capture the White House, Stubbs foresees, quote, a full frontal assault on civil liberties and human rights, unquote, and a 1930s-style economic disaster stemming from Trump's protectionism. What's your reaction to that prediction?
1: Well, I I take the the question in two parts. Uh, First of all, the full frontal assault on civil liberties and human rights, um, that's going to take congressional action, and I think uh, Americans have a great Great respect for the U.S. Congress to do absolutely nothing. Huh. And so there's a box, he's boxed in there. The United States Congress, uh, there may be some uh, uh, people who might go along with this, but there's never going to be enough votes to pass any of this nonsensical kinds of. Uh, uh, Impingement on liberty. So, uh, one of the few times the U.S. Congress' uh, inability to do something is a positive. The second part on the 1930-style economic disaster, Congress can some Congress will have a role in slowing that down. However, this is the greatest in my mind, fear of a Trump presidency. Uh, renegotiating trade deals, which he will have as uh, president, also, remember, needs congressional approval. And I would hope that the uh, more modest and serious-minded members of the Senate and the House uh, will stop him from fully implementing this 1930 uh, style of protectionism. History has shown It never has worked and has brought around dramatic, dramatic negative effects on the global economy.
0: In that zone, Stubbs also sees a painful irony. While similar sentiments boosted both Trump and Brexit, uh, Trump's tough stance on trade may be just what post-Brexit Britain does not want as it seeks to create new trade opportunities outside the EU. What do you think of that?
1: Well, uh, anyone who understands what exactly is going to happen now that this vote has happened, uh, first of all, they're either a genius uh, or they're delusional. This has to play out in ways that I think we just can't even uh, imagine right now. Now, while the sentiments that boosted Trump uh, uh, clearly uh, played in effect – with the great britain's vote but it's very very unclear that this is going to result in something so fundamentally different i, I think that one was a completely open question
0: let's move closer to home with the view from mexico uh, by melissa martinez larria an advisor to the mexican foreign minister uh, she can't predict the outcome of our election of course but she is confident that a president trump could not build a border wall more confident that Mexico would not pay for it, and even more confident that the U.S. could not afford the cost of deporting 11.3 million undocumented immigrants, $600 billion by one estimate, or the loss in economic activity that such a deportation would cause, $301 billion in California alone. You agree?
1: Absolutely. One of the things that uh, Trump's... Uh, chicanery is is trying to sell is that this solves our problems people come to America because they want their children to be Americans my family is an exact example of the American dream all four of my grandparents came here knowing nothing zero education but a hope and dream for their children and grandchildren. Unlike in Europe where immigrants come in, they want it to be a conclave in their own political power. They don't want to be English. They don't want to be German. They don't want to be French. This is a fundamental difference. And for a variety of these reasons, there is no way I can see this wall being built, Mexico paying for it, uh, it's, it's just rhetoric that's being used to give a simple answer to a complex issue.
0: Interestingly, Martinez-Larreas says that confronting and contradicting Trump's claims and the pumped-up hostility that may well outlast his campaign is a job not only for Mexico's government, but for Mexican citizens at home and abroad and all those who benefit from half a trillion dollars in cross-border trade. How likely do you see that kind of widespread popular activism?
1: Well, I do think there will be some uh, leftover bad feelings about this Trump candidacy. Um, And obviously, if he wins, uh, they will be heightened. But I really see the change of this doesn't come from uh, Mexico and uh, Mexican citizens abroad. The U.S. public, the U.S. Uh, voters have to stand up and make sure that common sense uh, solutions uh, will happen here. Outside activism, uh, I don't think will have that much of an impact. Americans are very peculiar about, uh, and justifiably so, that we want to drive our own government, and that's what we will do.
0: A Turkish view of the U.S. election by Wellesley graduate Osed Babur began with a slightly smug comment that Americans might well be confused by the election campaign's alarming rhetoric and intolerance which they usually expect quote from the mullahs of the Middle East. Uh, Then came uh, President Recep Tayyip Erdogan's massive crackdown on military and civilian opponents and critics after a mysteriously weak uh, coup attempt. How do you see that affecting Babur's call for uh, continuing U.S. support for Turkey especially as host to a record 2.7 million Syrian refugees? Some complain it's still channeling many to the EU?
1: Well, I think this is a very, very interesting question. And it calls into context why do we have allies and what do we want out of our allies? One could make the case that his activities should make us totally reevaluate our relationship with the Turkish government. Having said that, there's bigger issues than internally getting involved with their politics. I do think that uh, talks at the highest levels need to take place to make him understand what our expectations are for continuing of uh, aid to Turkey. It is not just an open spigot without conditions.
0: Uh, Barbara was also concerned that pressure on Turkey to escalate its role in the coalition against ISIS could, quote, seriously drain the country's military, which, of course, is now much reduced by Erdogan himself and which Hillary Clinton sees him misusing against Kurdish groups linked to America's closest anti-ISIS allies. Um, And, of course, there are charges that the World Policy Journal has covered uh, that uh, Erdogan is, is actually, with one hand, helping ISIS itself. How do you see Washington handling those contradictions?
1: The quintessential "Do you make a pact with the devil?" Uh, American uh, uh, political and international history definitely shows we've we've done that in the past, unfortunately. Uh, do we have a better chance of annihilating ISIS by Turkey being part of this coalition? I think most thoughtful people would say yes. But we're going to pay a price for that, and it's up to the leaders to understand what that price is we're going to pay for their involvement in crushing ISIS, and what our expectations have to be realistically.
0: I guess there's a parallel with Saudi Arabia, which is, is of course, a long-standing ally of the United States, but also the source of much of the funding and education of al-Qaeda and all of the spin-offs that have led to ISIS.
1: Great example and, and and spot on. My sense of history and what's going on there, it's hard for me to understand and believe that the House of Saud will be standing in another 10 or 15 years. It's based uh, on premises that no longer work. There's unemployment gaining in Saudi. The price of oil is down. They can't subsidize things like they have before. And America now doesn't need Saudi oil as much uh, as it did in the past. And so I, I really uh, applaud that, uh, the example that you use because you're spot on.
0: From Africa, Mitchell Prather, managing director of the consulting firm Jembe Communications, had the rare positive view of a possible Trump presidency based on his businessman's appreciation of a current 120,000 American jobs involved with exports uh, to that continent and a large number of major U.S. businesses doing well with the growing middle class in Africa, including Dow Chemicals, GE, MasterCard. And he sees former Secretary of State Clinton even more familiar with the opportunity there. Do you see a new tilt to Africa forthcoming?
1: No, I do not see a tilt. (laughs) We've talked about this as a country for years. Uh, Different presidents, uh, going back to uh, Kennedy, have talked about bringing Africa more into mainstream international trade. The realities of where we're at is our foreign policy and the amount of capital that we have uh, I think precludes this tilt to Africa. Uh, it's always used as a sound bite but there hasn't been a president who has actually uh, made this tilt to Africa in a meaningful way. The only meaningful tilt to Africa was under President George W. Bush, and that was on a health care issue, and I really do applaud uh, President Bush uh, for that initiative. But a kind of a U.S. tilt to Africa for uh, foreign policy and trade, no
0: complementing this series on election 2016, though not part of it, is a world policy blog post by Israeli author and columnist Asher Schechter. He warns America against following his country into, quote, a clownocracy, uh, mostly governed by politician entertainers, unquote, uh, more interested in making the evening news than actual governing. Do you see that in the appeal of Trump for triumph of TV values over competing policies and principles? that may be gaining ground here beyond him
1: absolutely and unfortunately i th- think it's going to be very very difficult uh, in this cycle uh... to change that uh... the notion that you're famous somehow e- equals that you have something important to say uh... They don't necessarily correlate, but in today's society, the media is such, social media is such, that people have a a knowledge or an acquaintance with a name, and that can drive a lot of things. One of the things that I hope about this Trump candidacy is that it will completely blow up this model that... People will say, wait a minute, you've got to be a little more sensitive how you pick your leaders, not because I've seen them on TV, uh, et cetera. Uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, which, way this, uh, which way this comes out.
0: Joe, how does this series and, uh, and World Policy Journal fit into the larger framework of World Policy Institute? What are some other WPI programs and projects?
1: It fits in. Extremely well, WPI. We occupy a very special space, and uh, it's interesting to note uh, today uh, that Senator Warren came out uh, very hard against uh, think tanks in Washington, and I really uh, understand why she did it. And it also differentiates why we're important. A lot of think tanks are fronts for lobbying for corporations. What WPI does is we take issues that transcends transcends international borders and tries to offer solutions that that are workable. Uh, Two big initiatives that we're undertaking. One is on sugar. Sugar is uh, a major cause of diabetes and obesity, which is a global health issue. And the other one is migration. And what is causing migration and how do people understand why people are moving from place to place? And it's not because of the usual things people think of, political oppression, etc. What we're finding out is it's environmentally driven. Uh, It's economically uh, driven. And the fact of national identity now is, and this is opposite of what's going on in the Trump movement, people, there's a segment of the population globally who do not connect in a kind of nationalistic way, but they're forming their own groups using the Internet. And as this evolves, people of like-mindedness will come together through the Internet and not so much through National Geographic boundaries.
0: And the, the, the way you're going about these, uh, these, these goals, these issues, are seminars, programs, uh, research projects, uh, give us some, some idea of the, the actual operations sure. that you have underway.
1: Let me use uh, sugar as the example. Uh, There's several things that we're we're going to do. Uh, We're bringing in uh, fellows that will bring in the science of why sugar in the diet is causing this obesity, and then also bringing in leaders of cities and governments, internationally to discuss the issue of sugar and obesity and how to educate uh, the population uh, with that. We are hoping to convene a a World Congress on this uh, issue uh, sometime in the next year and a half to two years, but leading up to that you'll see a series of interviews and publications that come out of WPI on this issue.
0: And how did you personally become so interested in international affairs and involved with World Policy Institute?
1: Well, uh, I had the absolute pleasure of being in the uh, Clinton administration. Uh, President Clinton appointed me chairman of the board of the Woodrow Wilson Center for International Scholars. And uh, because of that role as chairman, I was involved in uh, different working groups in the government uh, about. Uh, on international affairs. I first started reading the World Policy uh, Journal when I was in the government. I found it to be refreshing, and you know, new ideas rarely come from inside a government. It's people who have the ability to sit back and evaluate and offer new insights uh, that governments can react on. When, when I remember when we were when I was in the government, you're focused day to day on you know what uh, big issue came flying across uh, your desk. And so I became intimately aware of the journal uh, back in the 90s uh, when I was in the Clinton administration.
0: And how did you finally move to it?
1: Well, uh, I moved to New York, and through some mutual friends, uh, I was invited to first go on the advisory council of the board, of which uh, I really enjoyed and then I was asked to join uh, the full board of directors and then I was asked to become uh, chairman of the board and uh it's been one of the most meaningful things uh, I have done in my professional career. We have an unbelievable staff here of, of hardworking people who really, really care about where this world is, is going. And so it's, it's a joy to be part of this place.
0: Well, a joy to have you on this program and that uh, you make this program possible. Joe Carey, thank you. Take care. Joseph A. Carey, Jr. is chairman of the board of directors of World Policy Institute. He launched a series of global takes on the U.S. election with a blog post headlined, Against the United States, Defined by Hate. Featured in the new WPJ summer issue, Renegade Cities, you'll find articles about a black market for water in the Indian city of Chennai, about public-private collaboration for affordable urban housing, at least on paper, and about the problems with plans for a northern powerhouse in Great Britain before and after Brexit. World Policy on Air is a production of World Policy Journal at the non-profit World Policy Institute in New York. Editor Christopher Shea, Managing Editor Jaffa Frederick, podcast producer Matthew DeMello. I'm David Alpern.